Hello. My name is Dr. Mercurio Arborea, and I am the founder of the Arborea Institute. Through our unique blend of benign pharmacology, sensory therapy, and energy sculpting, we can guide you to a new, better, happier you. You're about to embark on a great journey. Let the new age of enlightenment begin. What is at stake is more than one small country. It is a big idea. A new world order. It's no longer a theory. What I'm about to say is fact. The secret organizations of the world power elite are no longer secret. They have planned and are now leading us into a one-world communist government. Welcome useless eaters to the Odd Man Out podcast, where we talk about hidden history, deep political policy, occult deconstruction, economics, religion, and philosophy. I'm your rabbit hole aficionado, the Odd Man. Welcome. The affirmative task we have now is, uh, is to actually... Um, uh, create uh, uh, a new world order. Public policy could itself become the captain of a scientific, technological elite. And when that first cocaine was smuggled in on a ship, it may as well have been a deadly bacteria so much as it hurt the body, the soul of our country. But take my word for it, this scourge will stop. I'm close to amazed by how far Putin seems to have come in making, throwing his lot with the West. Um, he seems to have, from all the briefings I've gotten, uh, actually uh, stiff-armed his military here and stiff-armed some of the browns and reds in, the, uh, in, the, uh, um, uh, in his government. Uh, and out of government and made a very, I don't think anybody since Peter the Great has made such a significant, at least initial move to the West. And I looked the man in the eye. I found it to be very straightforward and trustworthy. Uh, we had a very good dialogue. I was able to um, get a sense of his soul. The man deeply committed to his country and the best interests of his country. You know, in politics, we're told oftentimes that the enemy of my enemy is my friend. I've mentioned this on the show before. I don't believe that's true at all. And I think that that simplistic, overly simplistic thinking has been used as an excuse for people to support candidates and representatives and people in the private sector as well that work with scoundrels and evil people. Now, we've also talked in the past about how we have been basically conditioned to believe, especially with politics and social issues for that matter, that there's always a clear hero and a clear villain, like this comic book world, Batman versus the Joker. So, that's not really true. Things are much more complicated than that often especially when we talk about geopolitics and connections and different types of organizations and the lengths that people will go to for money, fame, power, influence, 
and different things like that. So it shouldn't come to us as a surprise that the Russian government, who took a huge loan from the IMF after the Soviet Union fell, and we've talked about how once the IMF loans your country money that you can never pay back, they kind of control your government. Now, I don't know that to be true with Russia, but I think we should at least take that into consideration. There's a lot of things we should take into consideration. It's not that NATO hasn't been screwing over Russia for a very long time on behalf of the global financial elite, the global financial Western elite. They have, and it's not that we're excusing that. But we also need to consider the fact that maybe the Russian government and Vladimir Putin aren't necessarily the saviors of mankind and the great heroes of individual liberty that people are portraying them as in alternative media. We need to consider that we may not be able to trust Vladimir Putin, a former KGB agent who came to power when President Boris Yeltsin retired early. We know that Boris Yeltsin was a puppet of the West, a drunkard who was basically just a yes-man for the global Western elite. We need to look into the connections with the Russian government and the United Nations and Agenda 21 and 2030 and the World Economic Forum, for that matter, to hear it told by many in the alternative media universe. World Economic Forum has severed ties completely with Russia and Vladimir Putin. I don't know that to be true, but I think that there is a history there, especially with the United Nations as well and committing to these different global elite plans that we're all against. So do we automatically think that because of Russia going into Ukraine that all that is over with now? I don't think so. I can't, I can't accept that. And you guys always tell you, listen to the information I present and then make up your own mind. I don't expect you to always agree with me. I just want you guys thinking and give me your perspective after you hear these shows. I mean, if the Ukraine situation bolsters the Great Reset Agenda 2030 plan, shouldn't we at least be a tad skeptical about why it's happening at this time? So, anyway, I want to bring you some information. I'm going to play some clips We've got some clips from Riley Wagaman, who is a journalist, an independent journalist who has worked for RT News. He's also worked for Press TV and others. He's now just doing a blog, a substack called Edward Slav Squat, and he is an American who lives in Russia with his family. And he's been writing these great blogs that really show another side to the Russian government and Vladimir Putin under the COVID-19, COVID-1984 time. So I think it's important that we understand that possibly the alt-media is caught up to a degree in this cult of personality, kind of like many did with Trump, 
They may have even transferred some of that faith they had in Trump to Vladimir Putin. So I think it's worth checking out the information I'm going to present you and making up your own mind because it's not like we haven't been fooled before on really important subjects. I'll go back to the information that Anthony C. Sutton provided back in the day when he told us because he had stumbled up upon the receipts and the actual papers that proved that America, not us, but our government, had been funding the Soviets through foreign aid and other means. We built up the Soviet Union, basically, with the aid that we gave them. And they were buying from American companies, and they had been given... American technology, the Lend and Lease program basically built up or helped to build up the Soviet Union and make it strong and make it an actual threat to others. And we were lied to about that for a very long time. Even up until the late 80s, we were told they were very strong and a big threat to America and the world. And then years later, it took them a long time to finally admit, no, the Soviets had been broke for a long time and our government just used us and used the Soviet threat as a way to get funding and get the, get the policies that they wanted implemented because they knew they could scare us because they always need a boogeyman. So I think we need to think about that. We can even go back to the Bolshevik Revolution when the Federal Reserve man, Jacob Schiff, helped fund Trotsky and helped him get over to the Bolshevik Revolution and helped fund the whole thing. So, yeah, I mean, things happen. We are lied to in mainstream history about it. It takes years, oftentimes, to actually get the truth. So I think it's worth taking that extra deep dive and just looking at the facts, weighing them, and then making up your own mind. So I won't bore you any longer. Let's just go ahead and get into the first bit of samples, and then we'll just go from there. An interesting, curious history here that a lot of people don't know, and that is the history of the Clintons' role in actually strengthening Vladimir Putin. Uh, they helped us propel us to where we are today. They helped Vladimir Putin uh, develop his economy, advance his influence around the world, and by the way, the Clintons got paid handsomely for doing it. All these people are going on cable news and TV shows and saying, Vladimir Putin has changed. He's different than he was five or ten years ago. Go. That to me is absolutely patently ridiculous. To do the things that the Clintons did directly to benefit Vladimir Putin and themselves right. is pretty wild. Uranium One. This is a fascinating case. Uranium One is uh, was a Canadian company, uh, and it was uh, started by a guy named Frank Justra, a Canadian uh, speculator, you could say, mining. He he actually uh, owned and invested in Lionsgate, right. the, uh, the uh, movie company. But what's interesting about Frank Juster is he became pals with Bill Clinton. And Bill Clinton, of course, is start of the Bill and Hillary Clinton Foundation, uh, was looking to raise a lot of money. And they concocted this scheme. And it all involves these uranium mines in Kazakhstan. Uh, Kazakhstan has some of the most important uranium deposits in the world. And of course, uranium is what fuels nuclear power plants in the United States and around the world. And Bill Clinton took a trip with Frank Juster to Kazakhstan, which is on the border of Russia. Uh, and Bill Clinton 
convince the president of that country, Nazarbayev, this corrupt dictator, and Bill Clinton convinced Nazarbayev to sell those mines to his pal, Frank Justra. After that deal went through, Justra made a $100 million commitment to the Clinton Foundation and quickly wired a third of that, some $31 million, to the Clinton Foundation, literally within weeks of this deal being secured. So it was this, you know, incredible quid pro quo. And Bill Clinton talked about how Nazarbayev, this dictator, was a misunderstood guy. He was a great humanitarian, even though he's a a thug. This was a classic kind of Clinton maneuver. Now, Frank Schuster's a Canadian. What's the big deal of giving this uranium to a Canadian, right? It's international swapping, you know? (laughs) Right, exactly. Except Frank Schuster then turns around and sells those mines to Rosatom, which is the Russian state-owned uranium company. What can go wrong with this, Eric? The the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe. Boy, that that's a snooze of a name, right? <laughs> yes. Nobody's ever heard of it. It's actually pretty important. And for a guy like Nazarbayev, who is at that time kind of an international pariah mm-hmm. because of his human rights policies and, and uh, crazy behavior, was not going to be a member of that club. Well, he became a member of that club because Bill Clinton vouched for him and said, no, 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 he's a good guy. He's misunderstood. So it was a triangulation. Nazarbayev got this international credibility from a former American president. Frank Justra got the mines and then ultimately he was able to sell them to the Russians who got what they wanted, which was consolidated control of the uranium market. And of course, Bill Clinton walked away with a hundred million dollars from Frank Justra. So, Well, it's blatantly obvious that Schweizer is no fan of Vladimir Putin, but I think it's very important to kind of realize and remember we're not dealing with the former communists, the former Soviet Union near the end when they were broke and desperate and they had to take a huge loan from the IMF to survive. We're dealing with a major, major capitalist country now. People don't understand. I mean, I haven't been there, but I know enough and I've investigated enough to understand that Russia is a capitalist country now, big time. And there are tons of crony capitalists and oligarchs in Russia. And despite what we're hearing... There's no way that Putin has gotten rid of all these guys. But I think we have to understand that just a few years ago, the Clintons were in good standing with Vladimir Putin, and they were making dirty deals done dirt cheap behind the scenes. So really, I think we have to ask ourselves, what has changed? Uh, Has Putin seen the light? He's no longer a crony capitalist, and he's no longer in bed with these globalists. And if that's true then what changed? Just going into Ukraine, that's the only thing that has changed. And because some of these, some of these globalists are saying it's bad and condemning him for going into Ukraine, that he's totally against them and they're totally against him. I don't think it's quite that simple. I think that when I go on the WEF website, I don't see... Russia being erased completely on there like we're being told. I still see a lot about Russia on the WEF website. I still see a lot about Russia on the UN, United Nations websites, the various ones. And I think that we have to be a little honest with ourselves and say, well, maybe things aren't quite the way some in the alternative media are telling us, and maybe we need to investigate even further 
So let's listen a little bit more to Swizer, and then we'll check out some more information on some other things going on in Russia. This is going on in, you know, 2010 through 2015. What planet would anybody think it was? It would be a good idea to give Vladimir Putin leverage over the world uranium market. But that's what the Clintons essentially helped them to do. And they were engaged in another harebrained, ridiculous, <laughs> profitable scheme uh, called Skolkovo. T- to back up, Hillary Clinton became secretary of state uh, when uh, Barack Obama becomes president. By this time, we kind of already know who Vladimir Putin is. Uh, remember how he came to power? Do you know the story of how Vladimir Putin came to power? I know that he was a former KGB agent. He was, yes. And I think at some point... that No, it actually happened uh, in 1999. There were a series of apartment bombings in Russia that killed 300 people. Uh, and the bombings were blamed on the Chechens. Remember, they were the sort of this breakaway region of Russia and it triggered a war in Chechnya. What's critical here is that event, within three months of those bombings, Vladimir Putin becomes president of Russia. Interesting curiosity, and that led to a lot of speculation and a lot of research and evidence from scholars, foreign intelligence agencies that says, you know what, we don't think that actually the Chechens did those bombings. They actually think it was done by the FSB, which was the follow-on to the KGB, that it was Putin's buddies who actually did these bombings bombings because it allowed Putin, the strong man, to come up and say, don't worry, I will protect you. Putin came to power with all these questions being asked in the West. Why we needed a reset when Russia had invaded a neighboring country? Who knows? They got nothing from Russia in return, but they started all of these initiatives that were part of the reset. You know, Sergey, uh, in anticipation of uh, this important meeting and our our time here together, I wanted to uh, present you with uh, a little gift, which represents what President Obama and Vice President Biden and I have been saying. And that is, we want to reset our relationship. And let's, do it, let's do it together. So we will do it together, okay? <laughs> Secretary of State Hillary Clinton spoke to students in Moscow today about U.S.-Russia relations the importance of free speech in Russia, and the threat of terrorists with nuclear weapons. Our coverage is courtesy of Russia Today Television, a 24-hour English-language news channel. I return now in 2009, in the 21st century, to exemplify the commitment that the United States and the Obama administration has to working closely with not only the Russian government, but with the people of Russia. We want a Russia that is prosperous, peaceful, and strong. And we want to be your partner in helping to address some of the most difficult challenges that the world faces. But at the core, we believe strongly that the United States and Russia must be partners. Okay, so I know I said I was going to finish up with that Swizer clip. But I've got one more clip to add because it goes right along with the others. And why not let the guy that's been researching this stuff for decades explain it in his own words than me try and look up stuff from his books and explain it. So just bear with me. We'll hear a little bit more this one last clip of Swizer. And I know it's not considered professional to play clips from other podcasts that are well-established. But like I said... He's the expert on this. And if I didn't mention earlier, he has his own podcast, and that's where these clips came from. It's called The Drill Down. And for a mainstream guy, 
he does a great job, I think, because he's willing to expose both sides. And that's really what he seemed to have done for most of his career. And I know that there's things I would disagree with him on and things that you would probably disagree with him on. But I think it's well worth your time to check out some of the things he's written and talked about as far as the corruption of our government and our representatives. So anyway, let's finish this out, guys. And I think the, the most interesting, fascinating is one called Skolkovo, mm-hmm. which a lot of people I haven't heard of. So here's the idea. We're going to take Russia and we're going to help Russia build their own Silicon Valley with U.S. know-how, money, and expertise. And what could go wrong? And we're going we're gonna to locate it in this area called Skolkovo outside of Moscow. So, so Hillary Clinton lines up uh, these 28 key partners yep. that include American tech firms. It includes Russian tech firms. Uh, and we're going to start sharing technology with them, help them build these companies. And these are big, comp- big U.S. technology Oh, companies. yeah. These are like Cisco systems. These are big companies. Um, and, of course, the Clintons always got to get their cut. So <laughs> of the 28 partners, actually 17 of them were already contributors to the Clinton Foundation, so a nice side benefit for the Clintons. So it's almost like because they were in the Clinton Foundation clique, they got invited to participate in this Russian. Yeah, it's access. like it's like a it's like a country club fee yeah. initiation fee to get in, in. Now, so Hillary presented this as a great opportunity to build uh, joint ventures together to work cooperatively. The U.S. Department of Defense's European Command uh, had a different view. What what was their view? Eric? And this is a quote from like what they said at the time. They said Skolkovo was an ambitious enterprise aiming to promote technology transfer generally by inbound direct investment and occasionally, and here's the key part, through selected acquisitions. As such, Skolkovo is arguably an overt alternative to clandestine industrial espionage with the additional distinction that it can achieve such a transfer on a much larger scale and more efficiently. So it's like, hey, remember in the 80s when everybody was into Russian spying? Right. This is like that, except for we're honest about it right. and it's more efficient. Yeah, and, and the Russians don't have to steal it anymore because we're going to give it to them. Right. FBI warned American tech companies that getting entangled with Skokovo risked them losing their intellectual property. The Russians were basically going to steal it. Yeah. So, uh, you know, this is Hillary Clinton in an incredibly naive and stupid move uh, where she's completely underestimating what Putin's Russia is all about. Uh, but of course, they're getting paid. Uh, and remember, at this time, Bill Clinton is getting half million dollar speaking fees from Kremlin linked Russian banks. The Skokovo thing was not the first kind of pro-Russian sentiment the Clintons had been involved in, the Clintons essentially helped facilitate the transfer of U.S. uranium right. to Russia. Right. And the people that made money on that deal donated, I think it was like $140 million to the Clinton Foundation. That's right. That's right. So they got paid. And they, they, got, they got, paid. got paid. And at the same time, to your point, Bill Clinton was paid one of his biggest speaking fees to speak to a Russian-backed, I think, security entity, mm-hmm. right, while all this is happening. Right. For Hillary Clinton now, to come out and say, oh, we've got to be hawkish and tough on Putin. She has never really been tough on Putin uh, other than in her language. Everything else has been soft. And then you look at her close confidant, her campaign manager, her advisor as Secretary of State, a guy named John Podesta. This is wild, too. Yeah, John Podesta. So he's advising Hillary Clinton as Secretary of State. He joins the board of three companies, Jewel Unlimited, Jewel Global, and Jewel Global Scheisting. These are all European 
European-based companies. They have entities in the United States, but they're creating a new type of biofuel. And get this. So John Podesta is on the board. He's on the executive committee. Their biggest investor is Rusnano, which is a Russian government-funded investment firm that puts $35 million into John Podesta's business. Um, This Rusnano, by the way, is regarded by Russian officials as, quote, Putin's baby. This is something that Putin himself controls. There's a person that's in these Podesta emails that says he was the one that approved the CFIUS transfer. He's emailing John Podesta and said, hey, let me please let me know if I can be helpful. But his name is Andre Fernandez. Yep. And what does Andre Fernandez do now? He is the undersecretary of state in the Biden administration. Did he not also consult for Rosatom? Yes, he was also. Which is a, a Russian he, energy entity. Yes, yes. And this is something you find in, that's very common is a lot of these individuals have these consultancy arrangements. So if you look at uh, for example, Nord Stream or Gazprom, the big, massive energy companies uh, out of Russia. They've got lobbyists. They've got a one lobbying firm that they've had until they just had to let them go. BGR is headed by Haley Barber, the former chairman of the RNC. Uh, then you He's look good at, friends with Bill Clinton. Yeah, yeah, good friends with Bill Clinton, uh, very active in Republican circles. Uh, you look at the Democrat side, you got a guy named Vin Roberti, uh, who has his consulting firm, also a big advisor. Roberti is very close to the current president, Joe, Joe Biden. Biden. Was absolutely was on his advisor committee in 2008. And these are all guys that are getting paid by Russians and and Russian entities linked to Vladimir Putin. You can add to that list Mercury Public Affairs. That's a lobbying firm that's very close to Kamala Harris. Uh, Also has a lot of Republicans in the line. So I think that we can assess that at least from the Swizer clips, Putin and the Russians, different People in the Russian government and Russian oligarchs had a cozy relationship with the Clintons and the Clinton Foundation, and they were attempting to build this Silicon Valley-type place in Russia in Skolkovo, but the deal fell through, and all of a sudden, when Trump came in, Russia was bad again. Russia was the boogeyman, and they've been the convenient boogeyman since the Cold War. And how many of us remember from the 80s, the Russians always being portrayed as evil or buffoons or whatnot. So I think that they always have to have a boogeyman, and we need to keep that in mind for sure because that kind of plays into these Jungian archetypes, and you got to have the good and the bad and all that to make everyone so divided and fight for their cause so, so passionately because that helps to keep everyone's attention diverted away from things that are going on in the background. So I'm just trying to kind of paint a picture and let you guys make up your own minds about Putin and the Russians in modern day. This wasn't that long ago. Politicians will work with very shady people. And I think personally that the politicians who are at the top are probably all crooked, corrupt, and will do whatever it takes to keep their power And if they're working for other entities like central banks and corporations, then they'll do whatever it takes to please their masters who are pulling the strings. So anyway, that's kind of my take on it. And uh, we'll go from there and check out some other things. This is just a little thing, but it may be a little bit bigger than we think. We hear the rumor for years now. I've heard the rumor that Russia kicked out the Rothschilds. And you hear that from time to time. This or that country kicked out the central bank or they kicked out the Rothschilds. Well, sometimes that's true and sometimes it's not. So I went on 
rothschildsandco.com. And this was as of last month on the 22nd, our services in Russia. Global Advisory has had an on-the-ground presence in Russia for over a decade. We provide impartial, expert advisory and execution services to large and mid-sized corporations, private equity, families, and entrepreneurs. Our Moscow team offers local clients the full range of our advisory services and holds an in-depth understanding of local and regional dynamics and unparalleled high-level and government access supported by our senior advisors. Wider regional coverage is supported by a long-standing partnership in Ukraine. This deep experience of Russian markets has resulted in and is supported by our track record in advising on many of the country's largest, most complex, and precedent-setting transactions. So, like I said, rothchildsandco.com. You can check that out. So, there is one conspiracy that we can check off as being fake. Fact check false. So, that's just one little thing, but actually, I think it's pretty big considering how influential the Rothschilds are worldwide, and also just the fact that money is really the source of all evil. You know, the love of money is the root of all evil, and if you follow the money, you always end up pretty much finding out who's tied to whom. And, you know, it says a lot about where the loyalties of individuals and organizations really lie. Here's an article by William Jasper from 2009, Kissinger, Putin, and the New World Order. Now, if you listen to this show, you know that I've been saying for a long time that Kissinger is basically the poster boy for the globalist Western elite. You know, he's up there in age. I don't see how he's still kicking, but he is, because when you feast on the blood of children, you can live for a long time. Ask David Rockefeller. But anyway, you can't because he's dead now. He's undead. But here I'll read a little bit, because we know that Kissinger is affiliated with pretty much every horrible globalist NGO out there. Kissinger never want to let a crisis go to waste, has been busy on an important New World Order project in Russia with Vladimir Putin. Although it has gone virtually unreported in the U.S. media, Kissinger has been featured prominently in the Russian media during his many trips over the past decade to Moscow to meet with Putin and Yevgeny Primakov, the former KGB terror master for the Soviet Union in the Middle East. In 2007, Kissinger and Primakov were appointed by Putin to co-chair a bilateral working group of Russian and American political insiders to tackle issues such as global terrorism, nuclear proliferation, and nuclear threats. Novatsi, the Russian news agency run by Putin-friendly apparatchiks, reported on the new working group in April 26, 2007, noting that Kissinger, U.S. Secretary of State from 73 to 77, has been a frequent guest in Russia since Putin took office in 2000. A Novosti story on July 13, 2007, reported on Kissinger's closed-door meeting with Putin, Primakov, and a delegation of former U.S. officials at Putin's presidential residence. Wonder how many CFR members were in that meeting. The Novosti article, along with multiple photos of the event, 
contrasted sharply with the absence of any coverage of the conference by major U.S. media, which should have been on the top of such meetings of world leaders and should have let the American public know about it. Accompanying Kissinger were former Secretary of State George Schultz, former Treasury Secretary Robert Rubin, former Special Representative for Arms Control, Non-Proliferation and Disarmament Ambassador Thomas Graham Jr., former Senator Sam Nunn, and Chevron Chairman and Chief Executive Officer David O'Reilly. All of the Kissinger-led U.S. team, save for O'Reilly, are high-level members of the Council on Foreign Relations, lending credence to the belief that this is actually a project of the CFR, the premier organization pushing for a new world order much of this past century. See, I didn't even read the article beforehand, and I knew where this was leading. Like Kissinger, the CFR and its publication, Foreign Affairs, also frequently refer to a new world order. In December, Kissinger was back in Russia, meeting with President Dmitry Medvedev, Putin's protege. Again, no coverage in the U.S. media, though the Russian press considered it newsworthy. Russia Today, a Novosti subsidiary, reported, While waiting for the Russian president, Henry Kissinger had been chatting with Evgeny Primakov, Russia's former foreign minister. Primakov now heads the Russian Chamber of Commerce, a post that experienced intelligence analysts see as the perfect cover to continue his intelligence functions for the KGB-FSB during his numerous trips abroad, especially to the Middle East, where he meets with leaders of many of the terror regimes he supported in the Soviet era. I won't read any more from that one, but it's going to be in the show notes. It's got quite a bit more to that. But let's look over here on RT. And this is going forward to 2016. The other one was from 2009. The headline is Putin meets old friend Kissinger visiting Russia. Russian President Vladimir Putin has continued his long-standing friendly relations with former U.S. Secretary of State Henry Kissinger as the pair took the opportunity to talk at a meeting in his residence outside Moscow. The meeting is a continuation of a friendly dialogue between President Putin and Henry Kissinger, who are bound by a long-standing relationship, said Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov. They communicate all the time. Use the opportunity to talk, he added. Putin values this opportunity to discuss pressing international issues as well as exchange opinions on global perspectives, Peskov said. And they've got a picture of the meeting on the President of Russia Twitter page. So it goes on to say, Putin and Kissinger have had over 10 meetings so far, according to media reports. When Kissinger visited Russia in 2013, Putin said that Moscow always pays attention to his opinion and called the former Secretary of State a world-class politician. Kissinger, a former U.S. National Security Advisor and foreign policy head, pioneered the policy in 1969, steering the U.S.-Soviet relations to a general ease for his part in negotiating a ceasefire in Vietnam in an unsuccessful effort to put an end to the Vietnam War. He was awarded a Nobel Peace Prize. <laughs> in December, an interview with German newspaper Handelsblatt 
Kissinger said that he believes the West should understand there could be no resolution to the Syrian crisis and unity without Russia's participation. Well, I agree with that. He also said that one cannot defeat the Islamic State militants in the Middle East using diplomatic means. Well, if they would stop arming them and paying them, then maybe you could defeat them, right? Anyway, there you have it. Putin and Kissinger are old friends. So the second half, I'm going to be playing some clips from Riley Wagaman. He's a journalist from the United States who lives in Russia. He worked for RT News for a while. He worked for some other outfits, but now he is an independent journalist just writing on his substack, which is Edward Slavsquat. And it's a great substack because he's bringing information that's a bit different than what the alt media has been telling us about Russia and what's been going on there since COVID-1984. He's been on with Corbett, he's been on with Whitney Webb and others, and I think he's got a unique perspective because he did work for RT News, and he does live in Russia. So I think you should weigh what he says and make up your own mind, but I think he's got some interesting information that you need to hear. So let's check it out. I'll be peppering in some of his samples with some of the things I've been reading, and then we'll go from there. If you want to live in a city and be part of civilization, I don't know if Russia is really a great alternative. I wouldn't recommend someone moving to Russia unless the situation is so bad in your home country that you're willing to take the gamble. Because it's a total crapshoot at this point. It could work out in the end. It really could. Who knows what the situation will be in, in four months from now. But it could also be really, really, really bad. So people should recognize that it's not it's not so clear cut here. In fact, the reality is that things are getting worse, like really a lot worse, almost weekly at this point. When I spoke about, you know, in that piece that you cited about Moscow becoming one of the worst places to live in the world. It's quite extraordinary. And this is another thing that I think people don't realize is that the Russian government, or at least a lot of elements of the Russian government, are totally on board with all of this World Economic Forum, Fourth Industrial Revolution, transhumanist, snake oil, bizarro world, though, stuff that we hear about all the time, but no one seems to make the connection to Russia, and Russia is totally on board with this. So there's an incredible document that's public information. You can go to the mayor of Moscow's website, and there's a whole webpage. It's called Moscow 2030. So just like, you know, Agenda 2030, UN Agenda, what a coincidence. And it just, it's an incredible document, and they just put it, it's just there. And they talk about, how by 2030 they want everyone to have a, a genetic passport that can be used to administer gene therapies and how people will be wearing implantable monitoring devices so that insurance companies can calculate health insurance payments which sounds crazy but I'm telling you if you don't believe me just go look it up it's all there I'm familiar with people who have the view that for example a common argument you might hear is okay Russia is on board with this great reset Schwabian fourth industrial Revolution, but it's for pragmatic and strategic purposes, right? It's because the West is doing it, so Russia has to do it. Otherwise, it'll be left behind in this transhumanist, you know, genetic arms race. But, you know, you could use the same, it's it's the same logic can be used when you're talking about the West. You could say, well, maybe Russia and China are the ones that are pushing this crazy stuff. And in fact, China is way ahead of everyone else. That's just an objective truth. And the reality is, whether we want to admit it or not, there are parts of the United States which are 
far more free than any part of Russia right now. The point here being, though, is that if we're talking about like a sort of very binary good versus evil narrative, how does that work in Russia and China's favor when it's clear that if we're talking about basic human rights, like like right to travel, the right to free movement and commerce without being stamped, that's not something that China and Russia are excelling at right now. It's much, it's much actually better in, in parts of, you know, the evil empire West. And that's just the truth. Now, that clip that you heard was from the podcast Geopolitics and Empire, and I think it's a great podcast. I've listened to several episodes, and I highly recommend it. And that was from November 25th, 2021, just so you guys know. Starting right after the state Duma elections at the end of September, Russia saw this massive nationwide rollout of QR code policies and compulsory uh, vaccination decrees. Some of these rules have since been rolled back. In other parts of the country, like in Tatarstan and St. Petersburg, other areas, they've actually doubled down and made these rules even more strict. But uh, in the last week or two, around 14 regions across Russia have started either like canceling or significantly reducing the, their use of QR codes. And in St. Petersburg, even, there are reports that the city is basically going to abandon the QR code rule, which would be a huge, huge victory, I would say, for the Russian people if that happened. Putin publicly supported the introduction of a national QR code law. Right. So it's a little bit confusing because in Russia, these rules are imposed at a regional level. But the state Duma wanted to make sort of a uniform blanket legislation so that everybody had the same QR code rules, uniform enforcement, et cetera, et cetera. And this legislation was so unpopular among average Russians that the state Duma had to drop it. But it's so that which makes it so weird that Putin publicly stated that he felt it was his duty. He said that he had a moral obligation as president to support this legislation, which is a very, very weird thing to say. Now, that was from a podcast called Containment. And I think that Riley was making a lot of sense there because really, I've been asking this question, what's the long-term strategy? What happens during this Russian war with Ukraine? What happens afterwards? What does it accomplish? It may not be the actual physical war that's the end goal. And how does this benefit everyday Russians? How does this benefit everyday Americans by supporting it? And I think we need to ask those questions because we've been fooled on huge issues, huge issues like world wars. So I don't believe that it's conspiratorial to look at these facts, weigh them, think about them, and come up with our own ideas. Unfortunately, more and more, I have to admit this, I, you know, when I look at the situation between the, the tensions between NATO and Russia, which I agree, I mean, objectively, you just have to say that NATO has been the aggressor. I mean, I, still, I don't see how you could not. Yeah, right. You just can't not admit that. That being said, the aggressor towards what? And that's where it gets a little bit more confusing because, you know, the way I see it personally more and more, especially when COVID hit, was that these conflicts really aren't about, like, protecting. It's not necessarily the Russian government protecting the Russian people from NATO. It's like the extremely corrupt, entrenched elite in Russia who, like, control everything. Don't mm-hmm. want to give their stuff to co- elite, corrupt, you know, entrenched elite in the West. And it's just like, it's just oligarch wars. It's just an oligarch tug of war. And these guys are just like sociopaths who just want everything, you know? And, and a lot of these guys, I mean, I really think that we're starting to see this more and more. And they're like pulling the curtain back. They're just showing, there's, they're not even trying to hide it anymore. Is that there are people in the world, powerful people in the world, I really truly believe, believe this, that have visions for what they want humanity to look like 10 or 20 years. And, 
And in a way, this is just part of that same scam. You know, it's like, I'm a rich, powerful dude, and I want this, and I want to see this happen, and I don't care. Like, I just don't care about countries or nations or people. I want more, and I want my vision. And, you know, I'm not talking about people ne even necessarily sitting in a smoky room, you know, plotting the destruction of humanity. It doesn't even have to get that conspiratorial. It's more just like, I have, I have interests. Your interests interfere with my interests. This is just business. Who cares if we kill some, you know, plebs? Like, let the serfs die. No one cares. There was a recent political scientist here in Russia who was talking about the, the tensions in Ukraine. And he was like, all right, if we're going to have a war in Ukraine, like, of course, we agree. NATO has been, there's tensions with NATO. NATO's been very aggressive. But if we're going to have a war in Ukraine, let's uh, create a special battalion made up of all the sons and daughters of Russia's richest oligarchs. And they go in first wave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's do that see, here, too. Let's yeah. See, let's see how quickly they sign that, like, ceasefire agreement or whatever right. you know because i i mean that's really what we're talking about here i mean who's who's paying in blood and for what like what does the average russian really have to gain here at, that, at a certain right. point i mean it might sound that might sound scandalous to say but i don't think it is and the same goes for your average american who gets exactly into grabbing a gun and i think that more and more people need to realize like when you're talking about russia and you want to say like i don't support nato i have solidarity solidarity with russia i really sympathize with that but you should recognize that just because you know you don't like nato doesn't necessarily mean you have to support the Russian government because the Russian government in many ways is playing the same game, you know? So people just have to look at this not through such a narrow lens and just try to find like the humanity in it, you know? Like what am I, what do I really support? What do I really want? And what makes it more sketchy is that this is another aspect of Sputnik V, which nobody, well, very few people talk about, or and I think not people are, are very aware of, which is that uh, the Russian government has partnered with Big Pharma during the whole from since day one, basically, to get Sputnik V off the ground. Specifically, I mean, they've been working with Pfizer and Moderna, but specifically, they signed this memorandum of cooperation with AstraZeneca. And what's interesting is that Alexander Ginsburg, the, dir the director of the Gamaleya Center, basically just says that Sputnik V has no significant differences from AstraZeneca's shot. Now, here are a few headlines from Russian-based news agencies during the COVID-19, 1984 debacle. So we have here, October 27th, 2020, Putin mandates face masks as Russia combats second wave of COVID-19. Here is from October 2020, just a few days later, Russia reinstates mask mandate restricts nightlife to stop virus spread. So, you know, we've heard time and time again that Russia wasn't going for all the lockdowns and the COVID-1984 Great Reset stuff. But if you really look into it, it seems like that they were. Here from RT News, Russian authorities are studying the implementation of an effectiveness of fines for people refusing to sign up for coronavirus vaccines in other countries the head of the country's consumer and health watchdog has said. We are, this is in quotes, we are studying the experience of different countries. Let's see how effective it is, how applicable it is, the head of the regulator Anna Popava announced in an interview aired by Russia One TV channel on Sunday. Here's from RT News on, let's see, this is December 20. 21. Russia comments on fines for anti-vaxxers. Russian authorities are studying the implementation and effectiveness of fines for people refusing to sign up for the coronavirus vaccines in other countries. So this actually just expands on what we just read. But when asked about a possibility of a new closure of the country's borders, Popova 
replied that the decision would mostly depend on the assessment of risks. Russia's frontiers were shut for several months last year in an attempt to slow down the spread of the COVID-19. Late in November, Moscow rejected any possibility that the refusal to take a coronavirus vaccine jab may become a punishable offense. Back then, Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov said that such measures were out of the question with no plans to make a COVID-19 vaccination mandatory. Such a stance was reiterated by Russian President Putin earlier this month. While immunization of population against coronavirus remained the most important task the authorities face amid the pandemic, Moscow is still trying to follow a path of persuasion rather than compulsion, Putin said. This is also from RT, and this is also from November 2021. Russian region imposes self-isolation for all unvaxxed against COVID-19. This is a Russian region of Conti Monsi, and it has become the country's first introduced self-isolation for those unvaccinated against COVID-19, with local authorities requiring that residents of four districts get jabbed or stay at home. The order comes as immunity levels in the area, which is roughly the size of France, remain below 50%, still far below the national targets of 80%. Wow, and this is also from November 2021 RT News. Russia set to make COVID-19 vaccination QR codes compulsory for the use of public transport. The Russian authorities are drafting a bill to require the presentation of a QR code confirming vaccination against COVID-19 before using long-distance public transport or entering cafes and shops, it was revealed on Thursday. Aside from post-vaccination, QR codes are also generated when someone can prove they recently tested positive for the virus or had a recent negative PCR test. So we see the PCR tests were big there as well. It says the regions will make decisions on QR codes and the details of their use. The amendments to the law will stipulate that, as part of the anti-COVID measures, local authorities will have to ensure that people are only allowed to attend public events, cultural, catering, and retail organizations with either a QR code approving vaccination, a document stating that the person has had COVID, or a vaccination waiver with a negative PCR test. The new proposal will also amend the country's rules on long-distance and international flights, making QR codes mandatory for check-in. This is June 2021 from the Moscow Times. How will Moscow's mandatory vaccine drive work? Moscow has rolled out one of the world's most ambitious mandatory vaccine schemes, requiring 60% of all service sector workers, more than 2 million people in the capital, be fully vaccinated within the next seven weeks. Businesses in the service sector must ensure 60% of customer-facing staff get vaccinated with one of the four coronavirus vaccines approved for Russia. At least 60% must have received a first dose by July 15th, and the same proportion must be fully vaccinated by August 15th. And then it goes on to say, the rules cover a host of service industries ranging from restaurants, bars, bank branches, post offices, fitness centers, 
transport providers, and including both civil servants and employees of private enterprises. So now let's look a little bit at the Sputnik V because I didn't realize that Russia was the first on the scene to put a vaccine out for COVID-19. And it was called Sputnik V. This is Edward Slavsquat, or a.k.a. Riley Wagaman, and he has his blog. He says, fun fact, for the last 30 years or so, Russia has been robbed ad infinitum by a worrying pale slug by the name of Anatoly Chubias. Now, I think that Chubias, we're going to learn, I think he's an oligarch dating back to when the Soviet Union fell. And I think he made out pretty damn well out of that. Here's the Edward Slav squat challenge, he says. Find a single person living in the Russian Federation who has a single nice thing to say about Anatoly Chubias, and we will transfer 10,000 spur coin to your spur wallet. If you aren't familiar with Chubias and his nonstop Russia raping, you should probably familiarize yourself. RBK has a pretty good, albeit defanged, summary of Chubias's tenure as a career criminal. He's got some links in there about Chubias. And apparently Chubias was Yeltsin's head of staff, and we know Yeltsin was a real loser. It's all water under the bridge, friends. Let's focus on the future. Let's focus on Chubias's latest scam, Russia's flagship vaccine, Sputnik V. In a recent article, Sputnik V is a scam, we cited Dr. Alexander Redko, who pointed out that the Gamalaya Center, the alleged developer of Sputnik V, has a track record of nonstop failure and coincidentally is sponsored by a well-known criminal, Chubias. He asks, why did the Gamalaya Institute win the bid, which has never developed a successful vaccine, never been accredited by the WHO? They have a single specialist in parasites. So how could this happen? How is it that Anatoly Chubias seems to be losing money with his institute? 340 million rubles. His middleman is in prison, like the NT Pharma, but he remains the main investor of Sputnik V. It's called Sputnik 5, not Sputnik V, because they've only produced five vaccines in the whole history, and not a single one of them was successful. That's all. Chubias is like King Midas, except everything he touches turns to dog shit. So this is a very interesting observation. And then he's got a link that you can learn more about the Gamalaya Institute and Chibias. He says, as it turns out, the partnership between Chibias and Gamalaya began more than a decade ago. In January 2020, the Koroshevsky District Court of Moscow issued a verdict in the case of embezzlement of the more than 400 million rubles from the Rusnano State Corporation at the time headed by Chubias. I think that uh, Schweitzer mentioned Rusnano. I'm almost positive he did. In 2009, the company unsuccessfully invested in a project to build a pharmaceutical plant and develop three drugs, including the influenza vaccine, AIDVAC flu. The head of the Gamalaya Center, Alexander Ginsberg, was a member of the Scientific and Technical Council of the corporation. 
The little-known company, NT Pharma, was chosen as a party to the agreement, and the Research Institute of the Gamalaya retained the role of co-executor and curator of the scientific program. Boris Naraditsky, the right hand of Alexander Ginsberg, became the scientific director of NT Pharma. They and their young colleague, Denis Loganoff, were witnesses in the criminal case. One of the convicts, Rustam Atalahanov, is listed with them as a co-author of the scientific patent for an invention in the field of genetic engineering. Anatoly Chibayas bought into the genetic engineering, agreeing to sponsor the idea of the Research Institute of Gamalaya. He's got a lot more about that. It's a really good blog if you want to get kind of a different take on Russia, because it, like I said, he lives inside Russia. He's kind of a, he's an American who lives there. He's kind of a libertarian-ish kind of guy. He seems to be really pissed off about the assault on personal freedom and liberty there in Russia, and I think that is pretty much why he does this. It's the way it seems to me, which I can admire. And he's frustrated with the alt media because he says that they are kind of covering over a lot of the things that have happened there to the actual citizens in Russia. Well, I think that finishes up this episode of the Oddcast. I hope that you have enjoyed it. My goal with this episode was just to bring another side of the information on Russia, Ukraine, and the whole thing, and kind of let people weigh the evidence, and they can be their own judge and jury. And so I thank you for taking the time to listen and hang out with me. I want to thank my wonderful patrons, and you guys can support the show. If you got something out of this, please consider it at patreon.com forward slash the odd man out. Time is money, and I put a lot of time into these episodes, and I want to keep doing that as long as I can. I want to thank, as well, my friends, my family, AlternateCurrentRadio.com. They have many great shows, and they host the Oddcast as well. So check out The Boiler Room and all their fine shows. They have talk, radio, music, anything you could want over there, and a lot of very interesting, unique perspectives, and that's very important. Don't forget they have 21 Wire and the UK Column as well. And so check them out, support them, think about financially supporting them if you can because they have just put a lot of money into their network and they're really trying to make a difference. They want to be here long after all of the mainstream platforms has shut down all the independent voices. And so they're making strides on being able to be a source that you can go to to find out information that you probably won't be able to find too many other places. So thank them also for hosting the Oddcast and being such a kind friend to me. I want to thank also John Brisson from We've Read the Documents for posting some of the Oddcast shows on his YouTube page. Thank you also to FringeRadioNetwork.com for posting up the Oddcast. They have many good shows on there as well, so check them out. And I thank you so much. I look forward to bringing you the next show very soon. I hope all is well in your world. Cheers and blessings. And remember, their order is not our order. See you guys.